I think the very first thing you do is you turn inward and you sit with yourself and really think about what hurts your heart when you look out at the world what what is it that makes you feel that's not right there there has to be a better way and if you start there then you've identified your purpose Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you who come back every week to listen, learn, and grow. Now, one of the things that I love about the podcast is I get to connect with people that I've followed for a while, that I've seen, that I've appreciated and admired their work from afar. And then somehow we find a way to each other and get to connect and get to find out about their incredible lives, their journeys, and what they've been through. And today's guests are Deborah Messing and Mandana Daini for the show. Now, Deborah Messing is the best known for her Emmy Award winning role as Grace Adler on NBC's Emmy winning and Golden Globe nominated comedy series, Will and Grace. She's also starred in The Mysteries of Laura and Smash, both on NBC. Her film credits include the award winning Searching, Along Came Polly, and The Wedding Date. Messing will return to Broadway this fall, starring in Noah Hadel's new play, Birthday Candles. Now, Mandana Daini is the creator and co-founder of I Am Voter, a nonpartisan movement that aims to create a cultural shift around voting and civic engagement. Its mission is to inspire and excite this generation by making voter identity mainstream. Mandana began her career as a corporate attorney at top international law firm. Paul Hastings, transitioned into work as a talent agent and later helped launch the Rachel Zoe Collection and lead the company's initiatives in business development, digital media, strategic investments, licensing, publishing, endorsements, and television production. Now, I'm so happy to have them both on the podcast today, so please give them a very big, warm, on-purpose welcome to the hosts of their own podcast, The Dissenters, produced by Deborah Messing, Mandana Daini, Eric First, and Dear Media. Welcome, Deborah and Mandana. Deborah and Mandana, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us here. I hope you can feel my excitement and energy through the screen. I wish I could give you both a big hug uh, and an on-purpose welcome, but thank you so much for making the time to do this. Well, we we feel you through the screen. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. And, and like I was saying to you just before we started, you've, you're only the second double act we've ever done, and I always find the dynamic of having two dynamic individuals, really exciting. So please feel free to talk over each other, to uh, collaborate, throw your energy everywhere you like. There's, there's no rules. So please feel free, to, feel, feel free to tell me to stop talking as well. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I want to start off, uh, I want to start off because I think people are so much right now seeking connection and friendship. And so many of us have been struggling with loneliness or feeling disconnected or even being surrounded by lots of people, but not feeling like we're around our people right now. And I wanted to find out about how you both connected and how you've continued to stay connected. Deborah, you said you're in, you know, New York and Mandana, you're in LA. How have you stayed connected during this time? So how did you meet and how have you stayed connected? Um, Well, Mandana and I met for a second about 15 years ago. 
And then uh, several years ago, we were both on Nantucket Island for 4th of July. We had a mutual friend. And I walked into the house and I saw her and I was like, I know you. (laughs) (laughs) Mandana, however, let 24 hours go by without ever even acknowledging the fact that we knew each other. I just didn't want to be the person that goes up to the famous person and is like, hi, do you remember we met 15 years ago? Like, no, I don't remember the person I met 15 years ago. So I just didn't say anything. And then she came up to me and she was like, how did you not say that we met before? <laughs> and then um, we spent the entire vacation together. I, we, I was like, I think I was probably one of the only families that had little kids and Deborah was just like, was so loving and nurturing with our kids and playing with them. And, um, we watched a lot of TV together during the vacation. And then we both, I think, realized how political we are and how passionate we are about activism. And so I think that's really what started as, as kind of like the foundation of our friendship. And I was really beginning to start the work on I Am A Voter. And, and Deborah was just incredibly helpful in helping build and create it with me and this group of amazing women that work on the campaign every day. So I think that's kind of how it all started. Yeah. And then we fell in love. <laughs> and um, because I was filming Will and Grace out in Los Angeles, oh, yeah. basically we were, sp- we were spending every weekend together. I, bas- I basically was adopted by her family while I was out there. And, um, you know, the last three years have been um, really difficult spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, because of how divisive everything is. And um, we just started very organically sending each other articles and links to people who inspired us with the intention of sort of, you know, lifting each other up, you know, because when, when it gets overwhelming, sometimes you just feel like all the vitality just drains your body and you feel like, I, I, I don't know, can I keep going? And so these links and these people, maybe like, oh my God, did you see this person? Oh, wait, wait, I have something. And then <laughs> had this like pile of, you know, names of like extraordinary people. And then Mondana okay, wait, said- Okay, wait, sorry, but pause, pause one second. So Deborah okay. stays up till <laughs> six in the morning every night. Deborah doesn't sleep at all. So I don't. will wake up at six in the morning because that's when my daughters wake me up and I will have a library of like a hundred of the best cat and dog videos like ever on this planet. Um, Some elephant in Africa that she has been monitoring for the last two years who just had a baby or like took a bath. And then it'll be these like incredible activists from around the world that are doing amazing things. And just by the way, the, the, the spectrum of the content that she sends my way is pretty spectacular. Um, but we realized how important it was to have these role models and to see the incredible things that other people are doing. Because I think all of us have very different expectations of what it means to be an activist or what it means to be someone that gives back. And, and I think ultimately one day we thought like that we should dispel some of the misperceptions around what it is to be an activist, because, you know, it's something like Glennon Doyle, who's a friend of ours, who was on our first episode said like activism is something you do in conversation on a phone with your mom at the bus stop in a PTA meeting. Like it's, you can be an activist in so many ways. You don't have to start an organization and, and that I think really like sat with us for a long time. And, and 
we're such nerds. So like for us, these people are like the biggest celebrities in the world. And it kind of yeah. started as a joke. Like, hey, if we launched a podcast, we could meet these people. We could make like, them talk to us. <laughs> and like, we would get their we phone could make numbers. them sit in a room and answer all of our questions. And so th- that was like the first thing. <laughs> I love <laughs> I was like, we don't have to air it. They'll never know. Like, let's just say we have a podcast and then we could just email all these people like from around the world and just be like, can you talk to us? And then we really started to put a list together and our friend owns Dear Media and and I emailed her and I was like, hey, if we wanted to do this, would you do it? And she's like, of course. And then all of a sudden we had a podcast and um, we put together like our dream list of who we wanted to speak with. And I think it was really important for us with this goal of kind of really showing what activism is, was showing people that are challenging and confronting, you know, the status quo uh, in so many different subjects. So whether it was like gun safety, environmentalism, LGBTQ rights, you know, re- animal rescue, that th- there's so many ways for people to show up. Um, and people said yes, which was incredible. And these conversations just like completely blew our minds. There's so many videos I have of Deborah with her jaw just open, for, like on the floor for 10 minutes at a time when I would be like, hello. I mean, <laughs> The, the thing that, that um, I can honestly say is, you know, we are such big nerds that we have no filter. So if these people say something extraordinary, we are screaming or we're crying or, you know, it's just, it, we are responding as if anybody in your audience was in the room and responding. Basically, and, we, uh, have <laughs> we have zero chill. And we realized... <laughs> you know, it was, it was going to be launching during the pandemic. And uh, we just really, it was important that we put something out there that was putting light into the world, that was giving people, you know, some permission, some courage, um, inspiration, empowerment to just take the first step, not to, not to get beyond one step. And, um, and so far the feedback has been, has been really amazing. That's incredible. Thank you so much. I can totally see why you're both just electric to what's together. <laughs> Even for a zoom call. I'm like, this is amazing. Like I, I wish I was in Nantucket that weekend and got to spend it with both of you. But, uh, tell me about how I, I find that. And I, and I love the way you both speak about activism. I feel like it's very refreshing. And at the same time, I do feel that it's, It's very real and genuine and authentic to who you are. And I guess my first question is, you said that you both just sparked and found that you both had this activism in common. Mm -hmm. But I find like for a lot of people, they actually struggle to share their opinions and beliefs and their values with each other, especially even in small circles where you could be living with someone or friends with someone and not have a clue what their personal opinion or belief or activism is on a subject. I don't know if you hear that, but I hear a lot of that in the community of like, I just had no idea that this person felt this way, or I had no idea that my mother or my father or my cousin or whatever it is had, had this challenge or limiting belief or battle. How did, how have you both encouraged open, honest conversations, even when you disagree with each other or have different views? Or how have you encouraged other people to just start having those, like you said with Glennon, by the way, I love Glennon. She's been on the podcast too. And 
it's, you know, yeah, in the, in the definition she gave of like at the bus stop on a phone call, how do you encourage people to start feeling like they can have those conversations with confidence? Well, Mandana, I think you yeah. answer this because you, your journey to America, I think, shaped a lot of how you perceive yeah. things. Yeah, I was actually going to say two things. I think on one hand, and so many times when you're an activist, like you just feel like you're standing naked in the middle of the street, right? Because every, you're, you know, I know that my beliefs irritate some of my friends and some of my family members, and I'm such a people pleaser. So for me to walk into a room knowing that I've offended somebody or someone doesn't agree with me and to be able to be okay with that, I think was a very long journey for me to become okay with. So I understand the hesitation because you don't want to irritate people. Like we're kind of, were bred to be peacekeepers. Um, culturally, I was always raised that way too. You know, I came from like a very traditional family and, I, and you're a woman and you're supposed to be the peacekeeper of the family. And so it, it took me a long time to be okay with it. But at the same time, I think also knowing that I'm entering a room as myself was incredibly liberating to not pretend to be something that I was. I, I think my whole life I had struggled with, I have to be perfect. And so I created these presentations. I would, there was the representative of Mandana that you would meet and she was perfect and she was so smart and she was like the coolest person ever, but it was so fake and keeping up it up was driving me insane. And so I, I understand the, the fear of speaking up because you know that you will disappoint some people, but it is so liberating to actually be who you are and it's so weird it's so empowering like i feel more powerful than i've ever felt mm -hmm. i have i have acquired incredible people in my life you are now going to be my friend <laughs> but you know and you all of a sudden feel like you're surrounded by all these other amazing people and and that is kind of how you th that security is is so refreshing um you know i came to this country to Deborah's point, we came as religious refugees. So I was about six years old and, and that was very formative. I think, you know, I was always raised with this hustle of just like, fake it till you make it, pretend to be American, pretend to fit in, like just hustle, hustle, hustle. No one's here to save you if you fall. And so I think that made me work harder than most people and made me really, really ambitious to like live the American dream. And we did like my brother's a surgeon. I was a lawyer. It was amazing. We did all the things. Um, but I think in a weird way, I was never raised with the question of like, what actually makes you happy? No one ever asked me that. Everything that made me happy was like, that's a hobby. Oh, you like those things. You can do that on Sundays at 4 p.m. Um, but it was very much like, have a job, you know, be safe, blah, blah, blah. And, and I never really learned to challenge my own beliefs or the things that I didn't agree with culturally, with my family, with the things that I was taught. And I think it took a really long time to actually like honor my own voice, but it also took the courage of people like and friends like Deborah and other active you know Sophia Bush who I know you're friends with who's a very close friend of mine you know would just be like say it girl you got it just go and and that you know that kind of encouragement and that's why community is so important it's so 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 important um Shannon Watts who has been you know a friend of both of ours really my mentor through all of my activism you know, is someone I check in with all the time and I'm like, is this okay? You know, and, and that is, I think in this space of really gaining your voice and honoring your voice, having friends that push you and just tell you to keep going, that tell you it's okay. And cause like you make mistakes, like as an activist, like, and you know, this, you'll say things, they'll hurt people's feelings. You say things and sometimes they're incorrect and having your friends show up for you and be like, you know what? That wasn't cool. 
And this is the way to do it is so important. And to have people that say, you know what, learn from it and keep going because we still need you. Um, and, and I think surrounding yourself with people who will be honest with you, but also hold you up so you can keep going is so important. Thank you so much for sharing that about your background as well. It's, it's truly inspirational. And, and it's amazing to hear how much you had achieved to then question it all. Mm-hmm. And I always think that requires a lot of courage and strength to do that. And so I just want to take a moment to recognize that Thank for anyone you. who's listening or watching right now that the hardest thing to do is achieve something and then the hardest thing to do is achieve it and then question everything you've achieved and, yeah. and then find and create a new path for yourself. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I don't want to dissect so much of it, but I feel like you were just about to say something, Deborah. so I don't want to cut you off. What were you saying? I was just saying the importance of mentors, the importance of, of finding the leaders that speak your language or who, um, who inspire you and to follow their lead and to learn. So I think it is a, it is a learned skill to speak your truth. Um, you know, I'm, I'm already 50 and it, it took uh, probably the first 35, 40 years of my life to finally um, be okay with people not agreeing with me and not liking that I'm voicing my truth. And, um, you know, like what Madonna was saying, you know, so, so many of us, you know, we are people pleasers and it is, um, it's suffocating and it, it really does strip you of a capacity for joy. I think I, at least that was the case for me, you know, especially as a professional actress, you know, I, to get a job, you are constantly dancing as fast as you can and put it, you know, it's, it's like you are performing, trying to be nice, trying to be amiable, trying to be, you know, that person, that one person that, that, that person wants to work with. And, um, it, living in that headspace really made me um, realize that it was unhealthy for me and was, um, I was choosing to sacrifice my, my self-esteem essentially, because by, by silencing yourself, you are saying that your voice has no value. And uh, as soon as I, you know, for me, it was professional, it was being pushed too far and finally saying, no, that's not okay. I must be respected. I respect you. And being okay with whatever fallout happened afterwards. And that, that has happened many times, you know, in my adult life. And I think I realize now you know, the people that will not, uh, cannot tolerate a different point of view um, are not people, they're not my people, you know. Um, uh, you know, I, I was raised uh, with inclusive solidity being, you know, at the center of everything. Um, 
And so for me, it's like, yes, you can have one opinion. I can have the other. We could have a very passionate debate about our different points of view, but we can still at the end of, at end of that conversation say, I hear you. It just doesn't sit right with, it's just doesn't, it's not my truth, but I still love you and I still respect you and God bless, you know, and yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. I, I love hearing that because I think, and, and I'm so glad we're having this conversation. And by the way, I'm ignoring all of my notes and completely just in, in included <laughs> this conversation. Uh, but, but that's because it's, it's going in, in such a, flowing in such a beautiful, natural and organic way. But I, what you said there, Deborah and, and Mandana, what you're saying also is like, I feel that so often activism can become very attack and defense. Yes. When, when actually, and what I'm hearing, and by the way, you can totally correct me and I'm here to learn from both of you. So please completely tell me that, that I'm not hearing it right. But what I'm hearing is that often we see it as an attack and defense, but what I'm hearing from both of you, I was talking about a friend today this morning who was talking about this and literally said these words to me. He said, you know, so much of activism is attack and defense, but actually what we need is understanding and compassion and, and that non-judgment aspect that you're both mentioning of like, being able to be open to the fact that other people will have different beliefs and being able to hold that space in that conversation. Because I feel like the other extreme of like cancel culture is, is actually more, I, I would love to get your thoughts on cancel culture because I have my own and mine are that, and Mandana, you said this, you said, you know, we all make mistakes as activists. And so when we run into things like cancel culture, we run into things like, attacking or defensive activism often what we end up doing is we end up closing the doors on people to actually change and have an opportunity to adopt a new mindset yeah my my belief's kind of like i'm okay with someone not having the same viewpoint as me but i believe i need to be patient for there to be an evolution of ideation not that they learn mine but that we find some way not to agree but that there is a space for growth does that make sense Totally. We talk about this quite a bit too. I think there's two things actually that you just brought up. One is I think some people come to a conversation and they don't want to be wrong. So they don't want to hear what you have to say because what you're saying goes against what they believed. And for them to admit that means they have to admit that they may have had the wrong opinion and they just double down. And, and that is, is just something that I think just requires like time for people to feel comfortable letting go of and being okay, being wrong. Um, and that person I find is, is very hard to convince in the moment and it, they'll take time and, and usually empathy and compassion. And, you know, it's, it's really like, we're all just people. Like we all have stories. I think that's all, you know, all these stories, all these activisms, just people like it's kindness. It's what I teach my five-year-old, right? It's activism is just kindness in, in, in a more formal way, right? It's if you all just focus on caring about other people and showing up for them, um, then, then the world feels very different. I think with cancel culture, you know, we talk about this quite a bit. Obviously, there's spectrums and it depends on, on what it is. But for the most part, I think a lot of us say things, you know, and it's hard. I don't know everything. Deborah doesn't know everything. Most activists don't know everything. We're going to make mistakes. We're taking risks every single day to, to stand up for people's rights. We may call it the wrong thing. We may spell it incorrectly. Like, don't cancel people for stuff like that. It's not okay. It's really hard to do that work. And sometimes I, you know, I'll confront some, you know, someone will confront me about something and I'm like, okay, well you try doing what they're doing and come back at me and tell me how easy it is. I mean, it's, you know, someone was getting mad at Shannon the other day. I'm like, she's going against the NRA. Like 
it's not that easy. <laughs> um, and I think there is there there just has to be some patience with people because we are going to lose a lot of the good guys if we don't give them an opportunity to to learn from the mistakes and grow. I don't. I think most of these people have very good intentions, and I do believe that matters. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I also think that that the source of of this um, this combativeness of in terms of opposite ideas. I, I think it's all fed by fear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. It's that's why we choose to attack or defend, right? It's almost like animalistic in that sense. Yeah. Of territorial nature that we can sometimes mimic in our own lives. But let's say like I know that my community and audience can learn so much from both of you and they already are. And I know so many of them want to be activists or want to be activated to do something. Can you give them some guidance and advice on where you start that journey? Because I feel like, you, like we've talked about, so many people get scared and fear does one of two things. It makes you shout the loudest or it makes you become the quietest. Yes. Right? Fear yes. does that. Fear makes you hide. That's so true, yeah. You just jump up and just shout out and do all this thing. And so it's like, Fear doesn't drive us in a positive. It, it can spark positivity, but it can't sustain positivity. And, and that's what I find with fear as an emotion. It can get you active. But if you had to give people a step-by-step -step process of how you feel that they can get activated, how would you suggest that? And that's to both of you. So. Well, I think, I think the very first thing you do is you turn inward. Mm. And you sit with yourself and really think about what, what hurts your heart. When you look out at the world, what, what is it that makes you feel that's not right? There, there has to be a better way. And if you start there, then you know your, then you've, then you've identified your purpose. Mm. Your cause is your purpose. And then if, if you feel shy about taking a step, you know, it's, 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 it's help the helpers, really, is, is finding the people who are doing the work that you, that you admire and just saying, I want to be near you. How can I help you? Because you'll learn so much just, just being a part of it, even from the outside. And eventually, that will build your confidence and it will give you a voice and you will be able to take the next step. I love that. Great, great piece of advice. Mandana, before we dive into yours as well, I just wanted to reflect on a couple of those. Like, I, I love the idea of going inward first. I, I know for me, it's it's been really interesting to go inward first and be like, okay, well, where am I demonstrating what I'm being an activist for? Where am I actually acting wrongly in another area of my life? So, you yeah. know, like discrimination as a subject, if someone is not being discriminating in a particular area of their life, maybe I am in another area of my life and I'm unconscious. It's an unconscious bias that exists there. And, and I think going inward is such a powerful way because it sparks compassion automatically because you're like, oh, wow, I have it too. I have that challenge too. But I also love what you're saying about, you know, really having that joining of another community or another team that's doing it because sometimes I think we feel so alone 
that we yeah. have to start something. And Madonna, you referred to this earlier, like, you know, you feel like you have to do it all on your own. You have to feel like it's, an, it's a lonely path to go and build your own. You think you have to go and build your own charity or build your own foundation and supporting someone else's can be a great start. Yeah, I love that. Mandana, any other thoughts that you wanted to add to that? I think to your point about failure, you know, I, I hear this a lot about people are afraid of failing. And, and I always explain that like, you can't fail in activism because anything is more than nothing. Right? Failing is, is not honoring what it is that keeps you up at night. And so, I mean, to Deborah's point, there are so many people doing amazing work. I got a DM yesterday from someone that was like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a graphic designer. Do you need help? I cannot tell you how badly we needed help yesterday on graphic design. It was like godsend. We were so happy. And, and maybe that, you know, do that two hours a week and just start and you'll learn about the organization and now you're volunteering for them and then you can do more and you can do more and you can meet more people. And there's so many ways to just show up. There's so many communities that you can join just by texting a phone number. And then all of a sudden you're getting messages of ways that you can volunteer and ways to show up. And um, community is, again, I keep saying it, but it is so important. When we started, I'm a voter. My, the, the, it was like, I was, yeah, I identified a need and all that happened was I emailed 25 of the smartest people I've ever worked with and was like, can we all meet on Sunday? And then, and then it all happened. It had nothing to do with me. All I did was get everyone together. And, and I think that, that time together regularly, you realize like all of a sudden these are your people. They're your friends. They're like, we help each other in business. We show up for each other. We always rally. Um, and I, and I think just anything I've ever regretted in my life was something I didn't do because I was afraid of it. Those are my only regrets in life. Like I just wish that I had gone harder for the things that I was scared of. And I, to your point about, about racism, you know, we're, we're in, uh, we're in a flashpoint right now there, you know, this is a turning point in our history and it's, there are a lot of people who are waking up. I think what has shown me is that we're all students all the time. It doesn't matter how old we are. And, you know, I may feel like my heart is, is full of love and compassion and I have committed decades of my life to helping people, but Obviously, I'm, I'm a white privileged woman, and so I have an implicit bias, and I have never been educated. I have never taken the responsibility on myself to educate myself, and now, because of this moment, you know, I, I have all of these new books and a new vocabulary to talk about something that I thought for the bulk of my life wasn't really an issue for me. And then all of a sudden it was like the, the, you know, the, the curtain came up and it was like, oh, no, no, no. Okay, now it's my accountability. It's my responsibility to be accountable. And um, I, I think that that also plays into, into that feeling of wanting to get involved is, is just being a part of the global community. Um, you know, I remember Mandana called me um, right when the crisis on the border was starting and she just got on a bus and went down to the Mexican border just to, to witness it, to see it with her eyes, to see the children, you know. To, to I literally just could not believe it. 
It was just no part of my brain could reconcile that this was happening in my lifetime. And it, that wasn't her issue, but she just saw something that was, it, 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 it had to, she had to participate in some way. And it changed her forever witnessing yeah. that. Um, you know, I, I, I do think the thing that I struggle with when you talk about people who have opposite views coming and finding a space where they both can coexist, I personally am struggling right now with, for an example of, you know, the Mexican border, you know, the idea that there are children in cages, like as a mother, that just destroys me. That, that keeps me up at night. And so I can't imagine anyone who would support putting children in cages and, and stealing them from their parents. But there are people who are just as passionate about that being the right thing. And so in, with that example, I don't know that there is a space for us. I think that we could say, I disagree with you, I disagree with you, but you know, to come together and to sort of, um, to take some of each other's points of view and fold it into ours, I, I think that there are certain things where that, that just is not possible, or at least it's not possible for me right now in my life. Yeah. yeah, no, no, I get that. That's a that's a really important point to raise. And there's always going to be certain things when you look at them through that lens. It, it's impossible, right? Like none of us can sit here and figure out what's going through someone's mind. And I, I think, Mandana, when you're talking about being there, can you tell us a bit more detail about what your experience was and what it was that really like pushed you and you know, that movie yeah. moment as Deborah was referring to. Yeah, that day changed my life. I had my daughter, my second daughter, and she was a month and a, I mean, a couple months old and I was home on maternity leave. So I was just kind of in this natural pause, which I never had been before. You know, as someone who came to this, coming to America is very scary. Like when we landed in New York, New York is one of the scariest places in the world to go to. It's this huge city. You know, we didn't speak any English. We had no idea where we were going. We had no money. And all I did was just hold my mom's hand. And that was like, I was going to be okay. Like we had no idea what we were going to do. We didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring, but like I had my mom, I was six years old and it was going to be fine. The idea that someone so vulnerable that they would travel through for months through forests and water, knowing they could die to come to America for the same reasons we all did, which was to have a chance at a better life, to have safety, to have security, to have healthcare. And then somebody would take your kid away from you. And for the kid, take your mom away from you when you just went through the scariest experience of your life and you are in a completely unknown place and you probably don't speak the language and you don't know anyone here and you have no money left. I cannot understand is a human rights issue. It is not a political issue. There is no way I can have a conversation with someone that can say that that is justified. It was entirely punitive and you do not punish children like that. That kid will never be the same. That 
I still remember how horrifying the experience was of living in a war and having to sleep downstairs during bombings. I mean, the idea that we put these people in these and gave them like aluminum foil blankets and they had no idea where their parents were. As a mother, when you're in the grocery store and your daughter, like my daughter turns the aisle and I don't know where she is for one second, that one second is a hundred years. Like that is such triggering pain. And for these, we lost some of these children. Like we have never found them. We put them, they like wrote their names on a post-it note and gave it to someone. And it was like, Martha, like what? We don't know where some of these kids are. We've never reunited them with their families. Some of these kids have been orphaned. It is, it was just, and and I was looking at it. And I'm like, but this is America. America is the greatest place in the world. America saved my family. America, you know, I was always raised like America is the greatest thing in the world. And I love America. And I believe that at, a true patriot challenges America, right? We uphold it to its potential. And so it's okay to say that we're doing things wrong, but it's also important to fight for what is better. And I just got on a plane and I went to Texas. I was like, I, that was where the first camp was where these kids were being held. And I was like, I, I need to see this. I, I cannot, be, I don't believe it. I couldn't believe that that was happening. And then I quit my job and started doing all the things, but it was, it was, it just was one of those moments where you realize like what is happening is bigger than me and whatever aspirations I have to do whatever it was I thought at that time was more important. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, that, thank you again for sharing that. It's just, just hearing it, like, you know, it was, it's so real just hearing it and it's, there's no part of it that can feel normal or okay or comfortable to even hear it. And it's what's what's so hard i feel and i'm trying to just really share with you what i'm hearing from from so many people and that's kind of i'm just trying to be in that learning seat from both of you i think for so many people they're just like oh, i'm so overwhelmed by everything going wrong in the world right like we took we talked about it right at the beginning and it's like yes I'm, told, I'm just so overwhelmed by everything that's going wrong like this is going wrong and then the political uh, stuff directly is going wrong. And then I've got challenges in my own family and the economy is struggling. And that kind of like paralyzes a lot of people. Yeah. Like you just feel debilitated by all of this because you just like so much pressure and so much overwhelm. And then you yeah. watch the news and you turn on the news and you don't know if the information you're getting is correct. And right. then you're trying to do research and you struggle. Can you tell us some people or places that you've started to, and you both spoke about mentors and people in your lives who have been the people and the places or the books that have you feel have really given you both an insight into reality or how can people get as close to reality as possible so that they don't feel misinformed or overwhelmed, which sometimes can be very real and sometimes can be excuses, right? We, we both know that they can be both for us. Sometimes they're just crutches and we're just like, ah, oh, you know, I don't really have time or can't be bothered. And then sometimes it's real. It's just like, whoa, I just, I'm an empath and I'm feeling the pain and, it's, it's a lot. And so what, what have you found for you and the people that you're working with to help you push out from that? Despite just, for me, it's just seeing the pain. Like for me, it's like hearing and seeing the pain just makes you want to rush there. But what have been some of the like guides in that journey? Who are those people? What are those places? What are those books? Uh, what are those communities or organizations where you see that happening? Well, I mean, we, we've, we've mentioned Shannon Watts. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we learned so much about the pain of, of gun violence and the impact it's had on our children from her. Uh, Glennon Doyle, um, 
you know, Representative Adam Schiff, you know, who gave that that beautiful closing speech uh, at the end of the impeachment about um, the the America that we all deserve, that we have yet to attain. Um, you know, th these are people who, when they speak, uh, it comforts me, and I I trust them, and I feel. I feel uh, like I'm learning every time I follow them. I also, you know, I'm on Twitter. I was, I had to be on Twitter because of my job. I, I hadn't for years. Um, and what I've done is I just have started to follow professors and, um, you know, professionals in our government, people who are, you know, professionals in the health department you know, right now with COVID, just trying to understand and to go to the, to the source, to experts, um, so, that, so that I feel that I have a touchstone um, because we don't know. Mom. Yeah, I, I, I think a couple of things. <laughs> One is that, you know, for the people that use it as a crutch or as an, as an excuse, I'm like, I get it. I don't like paying my mortgage. There's some things like you're just an adult and you have to do and you should know what's happening in the world. Like the, the baseline, like it's important to be informed. Um, I do think like acknowledging your mental health and how you're responding to things is really important. So there are days where I, I see Deborah, and I'm like, it's too much. Like you turn off your phone, turn off your computer, like shut it down and like go hang out with your son and watch a movie. And so I, I do think that when you are too overwhelmed, you do need to honor that and, and kind of take a pause. I think you know, it's hard because the news can feel very divisive. You know, it, it is so like clickbaity and, you know, it's ratings driven now that it just feels like you're watching like a never ending football game of people just screaming at each other. Um, and so, I mean, I personally followed, so does Deborah, but we follow Jessica Yellen. Um, she is, she does news, not noise. And so her whole platform yeah, is, is amazing. And she, you know, she, I, text her all day and I'm like, is this supposed to bother me? And she'll be like, no, that's not important. It's okay. Um, so people like her and Preet Bharara, who's also someone we covered, he, you know, the way that Preet you know, thinks about justice in America is so, it, I just admire it so much. Um, and so I really respect the way that he talks about the political issues that happen and how they affect everybody and kind of how it doesn't really feel partisan when he speaks about it. It really feels like he comes at it from like a patriot who loves America, who understands the foundation of law and like, and how we need to uphold, you know, the integrity of, of America. Um, and I would say, I don't know. I mean, there's a million more, but I would say those for me are, sorry. Stacey Abrams. Stacey mm -hmm. Abrams is someone who I, I look to um, and, and, follow uh and i try to follow by example and and learn from her um i think that i think that there are you know shining lights everywhere if you look for them but um mandana is absolutely right i mean i i'm an empath so i get i get completely overwhelmed and um i can just get stuck and feel like I, I have to do more, I have to do more. Oh my God, did you see this and this and this and this and this? And I, I do need to turn to the people who I love and love me and know me to say, okay, you're, you're not in a good space right now. 
You need, yeah. you, you need to just stop and go play the piano because that heals your heart, you know, and, and watch stupid television for a while. Um, I, I do think that Lord knows we are very good at that. So and I'm really good at sleeping. She's very good at sleeping. That's a great <laughs> skill. Sleeping is a great skill. <laughs> well, what, what, yeah, it's been, you know, and, and I'm grateful for the way we've taken this conversation because I, I do think that what you're both doing and what you both stand for is community and uniting for change. Um, which I believe are heavy topics to talk about. And I can see that in the emotion on your faces and just yeah. the stories you're telling. And these are heavy topics, but the problem is that if we don't take them on, they're not getting any lighter. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that's something that we can all agree on, that if something's heavy and you don't pick it up, it stays heavy and gets heavier. And but to your point, Jay, I think the thing that we try to talk a lot about in the podcast also is this, like, ask questions. I think yeah. people don't want to sound dumb. And so they're afraid to ask the things that they don't know. And, and the activists and the communities that, that are speaking actually are like thrilled that someone's asking them, you yeah. know, like yeah. we had someone on who's talking about, you know, what it felt, you know, their whole journey being a trans athlete. And, and we were like, sorry, can you explain to us like pronouns? How does that work? Like, how do you, do you ask someone what their pronoun is? Like, do you share yours? Like how did, you know, Deborah presented a real life example. What was the right way? And he was like, thank you so much for asking. I'm so thrilled to share this. And that has been our experience every single time. And so sometimes fear becomes this barrier to you actually really even evolving your empathy in an issue. And so I, I think one of the other things I, I should have mentioned earlier is to just like ask questions. Yeah. Who in your podcast has surprised you the most with a perspective or an insight that kind of like shocked you in a state with you or a, or a moment or an experience where you're just like, oh, like that, you know, that really made sense to me or that really broke through the noise for me, for each of you. I'd love one from each of you. It'd be great. Well, I, I, I think um, Amanda Min, uh, she is not yet 30. And um, she was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, she was a student at Harvard and was raped in her senior year. And the, the justice system was not there for her. Um, and she realized that a law in Massachusetts didn't exist that should exist. And, and she said, well, so I just decided to write it myself. Like what? You just, I, you're like... And I looked at her and I'm like, wait, a, wait a second, wait a second. You're 20. You're a survivor of a terrifying attack. You don't have any structure or any support system. And your impulse is, I will do it myself. And she said, well, obviously, I don't know the language. So I went to Harvard Law School and I found a professor and I said, look, this is what I want to do. Will you help me write this law? And he said, sure. And it was passed. A hundred, a hundred percent of it was passed. And now there are how many laws? In 30, I don't know, something. It's crazy. It's amazing. What she's done. That's incredible. You know, she yeah. ended up writing a, a survivor's bill of rights that is now being incorporated all over the country. But it started, you know, it, it was that moment of her just saying, 
all right, well, I'll just write it myself. That really just, I, I think, I think I had that reaction because deep down, I don't think of myself as a leader. Mm. I think of myself as a student mm. who is willing to work really, really hard. And so for me, someone is a leader, someone is a leader when they say, I will write the law. Um, and I just have, it, until that moment, it never even occurred to me that I could do that. And here is this 20-something-year-old who did it. I don't know that's, yeah, I didn't know that story. I'm, I'm so glad that your, your podcast and your conversations are unearthing things like that for everyone to realize because you're spot on, Deborah. It's like, until you know someone has done it, you, you don't even think about it. Like, you don't even think about who makes the laws unless you've obviously been in law school. But no. you know, if you're not, then you just, you know, you have no idea. That's, a bri- that's amazing. That's, that's absolutely incredible. What episode was that out of interest? Just so that my that audience can go check it out. If That was our second one right after yeah. Glennon. Okay, amazing. Everyone, then you heard that. That's one that I'm going to go listen to straight yeah. after this podcast. So I really, really hope that you guys go and listen to that one. That, that sounds She cool. is, right. honestly, that is amazing. Oh, by the way, we forgot to add, she, she calls herself the civil rights astronaut. So she <laughs> like found her way into an internship at NASA. And, and everything that she does is informed by her beliefs in NASA and so by space travel. And I was like, what are you saying? I mean, the whole time Deborah and I were like, what is she talking about? This is the craziest I've ever heard anyone say. Um, but it was, it was really- in, By the way, she still intends to go to space. Yeah, yeah that's like where she's going. No, that, that's, I that's believe her, I believe her. That was just a little tributary on her, on her you know, river of life. She's like, that's not really my thing. You know, I've, I've created two different, you know, I mean, it's, it was nuts. Mandana, what about you? Yeah, Mandana, I want to hear yours as well. I, honestly, I don't know. I, 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 to answer your actual question of when I was the most surprised was not what I thought I would say, but I think it was Zach Scow because I went into that episode. So Deborah and I each have a crush and we were like, okay, in our 20s, since we really did this to meet these people, we were each going to like pick one person that we were just like obsessed with and dying to meet who's also doing amazing work. And so hers was was this incredible man named Zach Scow, and he's the rescue savior. And he's created this thing called Marley's Mutts and has rescued like thousands of animals. And he always rescues like the dogs that, you know, nobody really wants to rescue or, um, and he, so I went into that episode as like, okay, this is Deborah's like, I didn't really put so much thought into it. And I just kind of like sat down to listen and his story. I mean, he, he was suffering from addiction and had liver failure and was basically on hospice and was told that he was going to die and went home to die and was at a point where nobody, I mean, everyone in the world had given up on him. And he talks about this moment where he knew that his life was ending and he had contemplated suicide so much and nobody even knew he existed anymore. And he was walking into the bathroom and he turned around and and I could just, it was so, you could visualize it as he was speaking, but he was like, I turned around and I looked over, my dogs were looking up at me like I was the sexiest thing in the entire world because they still saw me and I was still in there. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to take my life. I'm going to go take them on a walk. And the next day I went on a longer walk and a longer walk and, and, you know, we think of him as a rescue guy, but his dogs rescued him. And he speaks about how, and he does a lot now with rescuing animals and working with people in prisons and, and helping them become dog trainers. And But his whole concept was about we as society 
have people, animals that we consider the throwaways. They're just beyond repair. We give up on them. They're in prison. We're like, we just kind of write them off. They're animals. They're missing a leg. We kind of write them off. And I've done that in my life. When he said that, I realized like I have a family member, you know, that a very distant relative that I'd just been like, you know, I just don't think it's going to, you know, there's much to do with her. And, and I felt so horrible in that moment because I do realize that so many of us give up on other people. And this idea that every life, every human, every animal, everyone is worth fighting for. And, 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 and advocacy, it was just, I had not expected the conversation to go there at all. Deborah was hysterically crying. And, um, and of course he was crying and I was, and I, I was just, it, I was blown away by that conversation. That's amazing. Wow. I love that one too. That's, that's, yeah, it's, it's so interesting to hear about people that often we also don't ever hear about enough of, you know what I mean? Like the, the people that you're mentioning, like it's, it's almost like these are not people that set out to be heroes or they're not people that set that's out. To, exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, we, we reference them, reference to the people that we interview as accidental activists. Mm. The, the intention was never there. Mm. They just, that something happened and they had to do something and they did it. And that's what made change their lives. Um, mm. But yeah, these, these are not like sexy, flashy people. These are just people like you and me. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. That, what, I guess that hearing both of those stories just almost like fills me up with hope. It's, it's almost like, a, you know, like we, we, when we started this conversation, I completely ignored all my notes. But when we started the conversation, which is a, which is a good conversation. <laughs> is it the best? Yeah, it's the best. Yeah, like when, you know, we started this conversation and you start seeing it, you know, you, you're having a very deep, heavy discussion. You know, we're hearing about stories and backgrounds and challenges and issues. And then all of a sudden you share these two amazing stories. And I'm like, I feel uplifted. Like I feel full from, from the belief that like, there are people out there that I can either support or become because I care, right? And, and that's all it is. It's like, I care. Like either I'm passionate about something or either I've experienced the pain of something and that's going to push me into action. And I, there is hope. What gives both of you hope? Because hearing those stories gave me a lot of hope. And so the question that came to me with both of you who are, you know, you're looking on Twitter, you're on the news, you're speaking about this, you're having conversations, you're researching, you're supporting activists. What, what gives you hope and what makes you feel like good is happening and coming and that, that there, is, there is movement? Well, I can, I can say that the people that I've met doing the dissenters um, absolutely have given me the most hope because what, what they've shown me is that there are heroes everywhere. Mm. We just don't know them. And these heroes are working to make the world better today, right now. And that's what, that's what makes me maintain hope is, is, um, is, is really, really believing that there are all of these people around the world who are, who are doing, doing the work that I'm not doing, but is, is, incrementally, even in the midst of a global pandemic, yeah. everyone is scared. There's still people, you know, making inroads and things are going to get better. Yeah. I, I'm an eternal optimist. So I think that 
part of going back to kind of my those formative years of my life and transitioning and coming to America, I, I think I've always felt this profound sense of luck. Like the only thing that that was different from me and all the other people that couldn't leave was just pure luck. And so I, I think my whole life I've felt this need to help the luck of other people, like help balance whatever it was that that tipped me over to this side of of, of it. And and I think when you think about like people in society and community, like everyone can share a little bit of their luck. And and I think like a lot of what we're trying to do is elevate these voices and kind of prove that everyone has a story. Every single one of us has a story. And and they're all and whoever like your problems are the biggest problems to you, right? And so it's like being able to look at someone in the eye and have compassion and empathy and find a way to say like is there, can I help you with that? Is there anything I can do? It's like when you're a kid and everyone teaches you to like help your neighbor with their groceries across the street, right? It's like, it's that same thing. You're just, it's just a little bit more of a grown up, right? It's like, what else can you do to show up for other people? And I think when you re- hear these stories, there's so many ways to create these tremendous changes um, in the world. And there's so many amazing people to continue to learn from that, like, I don't know, it's, it's all hope to me, right? I just think that there's still so much work to be done. And so I'm just focused on like, what else can we do? What else can we build? Like, how else are we going to do this? How are we going to grow this thing? You know? Um, And I don't know. I I think it's just like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a lawyer too. So there's this part of me that's very pragmatic. That's like, what are we going to build? What are we going to grow? What are we going to do? Let's fix it. You know, what is the fix? Let's focus on the solutions. Um, And I'm still, I think unlearning a lot of my childhood things that, that I think were hard, but I, that I didn't, I never realized how much they prevented me from using my voice. So I I think it's continuing to empower other people to just be who they are. Yeah. As corny as that sounds, but no, no, not at all. I, what, what, what kind of stuck with me when you were saying that is part of what gives you hope is being a part of the solution and seeing people step up and change. Like, it's almost like, You've, you've got to be around the change to believe it's happening. Yeah. And, and for a lot of us, we're not allowed around the change. We're around the problem. We're hearing the problem. We're reading about the problem. And therefore, the problem just feels really big. Whereas when you, you know, if you've ever gone out to help a refugee, if you've ever gone out to feed a kid who doesn't have food, or if you've gone out, if you've done that and you've seen the change in that person's smile and their eyes and their life, and you've seen that, then you start to believe that, there is change and change is possible because I think sometimes we get so lost in statistics and numbers and we start thinking like, Oh, well, one person, what does that matter? Or 10 people, what does that matter? But all of it matters because, you know, for that person, it's their whole life. So, but you could also change that statistic. Right. And that's kind of where, where my brain keeps going with people. I'm like, maybe the problem is there because we're not showing up, you know, we can fix, we can improve. The, you know, the climate crisis, if we show up and we can change so many of the things that bother us if we voted, right? I mean, there's, you, you can't, I'm like, it's not okay for you to sit and be upset if you're not going to do the work to fix it. And so, you know, it, it's really just encouraging people to, to lean into it and just like, show up, show up for your country, show up for your issues, show up for your community. And um, I, I actually think people have exponentially more power than they know. Yeah. I think there's something, tr- there's, there's truth to the maxim that, you know, if you feel, if you're feeling depressed, help somebody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Right. 
I mean, I, I do not know of one person who has helped another person and felt worse after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. It's, yeah. it's, it, it always makes you feel better. Yeah, it's fact. And, and that's why I want to encourage everyone who's listening and watching right now to definitely go and listen to the Descendants podcast and also follow Mandana and Deborah on social media to find out new ways of getting involved. Because if, if you're sitting there right now and you've been listening to our conversation, and I've been, I've been guiding this conversation and facilitating it for anyone who, from what I hear, which I believe is the mass voice, and, and that's where, what I try and do and what I've tried to do today, Mandana and Deborah, with both of you is the mass voice that I hear is I'm overwhelmed. I'm lost. I'm confused. I don't know where to start. I want to do something. And I think both of you have given so many great insights, so many messages of hope and so many personal and collective stories that will galvanize and push people and activate people today to get involved. So, you know, that was my, that was my simple intention there of, of which questions I was trying to answer because I think sometimes a lot of the debate that I hear becomes so far intellectual pe- for people. Mm-hmm. And, and intellectual debates don't make you feel something. And we all only do something when we feel something. Uh, we don't yeah. do something because we think it makes sense. Like you don't, you don't stop drinking or stop smoking because you know it's, it's bad for your health. You do it because you lost someone because of that or you lost something because of that. Everything has to be based on, I feel like, emotion feeling is so much more powerful activated and I definitely feel that both of you have shared mm-hmm. so many powerful messages today that have really connected with people's emotions so so thank you for sharing from the heart because that's the only way to speak to others as well and I want to end with two segments that we do at the end of the podcast one is called fill in the blanks and the other one is called the final five the fill in the blanks I'm actually really excited for both of you to fill in the blanks because I'm terrified you're both great communicators and you get to define your terms. So here are your fill in the blanks. You can decide who goes first and second. I'm not, I'm not going to pick. Uh, the heart of a dissenter is. The heart of a dissenter is compassion. Uh, I was going to say empathy. Okay. The greatest person in the room is. Jay Shetty, what are we talking about? <laughs> That's not true anyway. But no, I mean, what are you talking what, about? I want to know what you value okay. as like the greatest individual in the room. I'm trying to understand your values without asking you, what is your value, Mandana? Uh, but, no, but, yeah. I think the greatest person in the, in the room is the person who is capable of not only listening, but hearing. Mm. That's beautiful. That is very true. Um, I, I, I loyalty, like people that show up mm. for me. It's I, I like that is one trait I admire more than anything in the world. I love that. Beautiful, great answers, by the way, guys. Okay, being a hero doesn't mean. Uh, being a hero doesn't doesn't mean you know everything. Mm. Oh my god, so many things. It doesn't mean that you have to be famous, rich. A lot of followers, anything. It literally just means that you have compassion and you show up. Great answer. Okay, this, I, yeah, I'm really glad to do this. Okay, not voting is the same as. Oh. <laughs> not voting is the same as giving up. 
not caring. Mm. Great. Okay. And uh, last one of the fill in the blanks. I wish everyone knew that. I wish everyone knew that they were capable of enacting change. Love that. And um, I wish everyone knew that it is okay to be who you are mm -hmm. and that you don't need to be what other people want you to be. Awesome. Okay, great. Great answers. So reflective. I love it. This is the final five now. So these have to be answered in one word or one sentence maximum. Uh, both of you did awesome on the fill in the blanks. So this is going to be a breeze for both of you. The first one is, what's something you want to give your children that you didn't have growing up? Travel. Hmm. College money. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> okay, second question. Uh, what have you been chasing in your life in the past that you no longer pursue? <laughs> I want to swear, but I won't. <laughs> um, you can if you want to. I'm, I allow everyone to be who they are. You, know? you do? I, I would just say um, no fucks. Okay. I've, I've that's just, what you, I'm sorry, that's what you're pursuing that you didn't or it's the inverse? No, um, what have you been chasing in your life that you no longer pursue? Um, people's, uh, people's, um, people's approval. Yeah, no, I got that. Undone. Yeah, same, 100% the same. Like the whole people-pleasing thing, terrible. Okay. This one I really like, think about it. So what's something that you're so sure about that others would disagree with you on? That America is good and it's worth fighting for. That's a powerful answer. That every person is inherently good. Mm. Mm. So powerful. Thank you. Okay, question number four. What's the biggest lesson that you've personally learned in the last 12 months? Oh. Surrender. There's not always the right answer and I don't have to be right. That's the right answer. No, that's a good answer. Uh, awesome. Quite fifth and final question for both of you. And, and because I know you both have some well, laws in your background. So if you could create a law that everyone else in the world had to follow, what would it be? That you, ha that you have to vote. Oh my God, stop taking my answer. <laughs> she goes quick. Deborah's going quick every time. So Deborah, annoying. Deborah I'm literally wearing my voter necklace. You I went quick. Sorry. You went quick. You have to give me a different answer. You have to give me a different answer. It's like family feud or whatever it's called. Oh man, I, 
this isn't what you're asking, but we have Shabbat dinners every Friday in my family. And, and it like was the greatest part of my life and childhood. And I feel like people should be forced to sit with their families, assuming that it's okay at home once a week and just duke it out and like learn to work through family stuff. It's beautiful. That, that's a great answer. That's absolutely fun. I love it. Thank you so much, Deborah Mandana. That was so awesome. Your, your final, <laughs> final five and you're filling the blanks with the deepest answers we've ever had. This is probably one of the most uh, activating and, and uh, empowering episodes that I believe we've had on On Purpose, to be honest. I think that both of you are just full of light and hope and energy that I think we all need right now. And I love how you both do it with so much grace and power at the same time. So. Thank you so much, honestly. Thank you from the bottom of my heart and my audience for taking out the time for having hopefully a very different conversation than uh, one that you may have had before and, and one that you know, I'm hoping really really touches a lot of hearts out there and gets people activated. And everyone who listened and loved today, you can go check out the Dissenters podcast. It's available right now across every platform. Please, please, please go and listen and hear these amazing stories. I know I'm going to go listen to episode two <laughs> uh, as soon as I can. I mean, that, that story really moved me and had a big impact on me. So please, please, please go and check it out. And Deborah and Mandela, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so oh my God, this was so oh, fun. Thank you. Yeah, and now we're friends. Yes, oh, we yeah. are. I can't, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, you know I love that. I, I, yes, we are. We are absolutely friends. And I cannot wait to spend more time with you both and hear more about everything that you're doing. It would be amazing. You yeah, are... You are a constant inspiration. It's been an honor. No, you're very thank kind. Thank you. Very kind. No, thank you both so much. Honestly, this was this was wonderful. And you know, I and I'm saying this to you offline, and I don't mind if it's shared either off online. But you know, my my goal was just I'm constantly trying to appeal to people's hearts because I feel like people know what's right, but they just don't know how to do anything about it. 